I'm your host, Rob Carbone. This is BD4. The amount of times I listened to that ridiculous Go New York Go song today, absolutely embarrassing. I went nuts. So I had a, I went up to the bank and it was nice out and everything. So, you know, took a little extra time walking up to the bank. And then I went to town and I had my headphones in and I was listening to that song on, on repeat over and over. I was pumped up, man. It's and it sucks because it's like a one minute song and I was pumped, but I just kept hitting repeat. Dude, the garden last night, absolutely bonkers. Pandemonium shit. Absolutely insane. I mean... <laughs> that shit was sold out. You can't tell me there was a single empty seat in the building. I didn't see one. I mean, that place was fucking insane. Off the rails insane. Is what I'm saying. I... Dude. Oh man, I wish I could go. If I had the money, if I wasn't a broke fuck, I would be there. And then on 7th Avenue, after the game, you would have thought the New York Knicks won the NBA Finals. You would have thought they defeated the LeBron James and the Lakers in the finals with the way it looked. I mean, it was loud. It was packed. And Knicks fans were going wild. Nothing like I've seen before. And it's kind of a good thing. It's one of the good things to take away. I don't want to sound insensitive here. Because what I'm trying to say is I'm saying in the most innocent, positive way I'm trying to. That whole the whole pandemic and having no fans, I feel like if there's one positive thing you could take from it is that we're getting a lot more appreciate. We're seeing a lot more appreciation now for having fan, for fans. Like there's a lot more now. We can. It's one of those things, right? You don't know what you have until you lose it. Like it was clear that the Knicks missed the fans and the fans missed the Knicks because what we're getting right now is nothing like I've seen before. Maybe you have, maybe older Knicks fans have seen it in the 90s, but again, I'm a typical millennial. I'm born in 95, so I don't know, man. That was insane. Like, I remember going to game two at the Garden back in 2013 when they played the Celtics. That was really loud. It was very loud. And again, not having gone to a game yet this season, I can't really give it a true comparison. 
But from what I'm hearing, like I have a lot of buddies who've went to the game. One of them, at least, you know, one of my buddies went to both, and then a bunch of my other buddies went to game one. They've told me it's the loudest they've been to, and they're in my age group. So it's definitely the loudest it's been, and obviously, obviously since at least 2013. I mean, it, it's it was insane. And again, I'm sure it has to do with the pandemic and not having made the playoffs in eight years. But this is New York. New York loves their Knicks. They love their Knicks. They want this team to succeed. And and you could tell me, you could spin it negatively and say, you guys are acting like you won the finals and use that as a negative. No, I use that as a positive. I use that as this city fucking loves their New York Knicks. They are obsessed with the Knicks. I mean, if we're doing this, just winning... Game two to tie up the series in the first round of the playoffs against the Hawks. Could you just imagine if we ever get to where the elite teams go one day? The F word? Could you imagine that? Incredible. This city is insane. They were showing in. MSG Network couldn't even keep their composure. Every two seconds they were talking about the fans outside and recognizing them. And then I was watching Alan Hahn's Instagram stories during break going over to the fan on 7th Ave. Like, you know, because MSG, the, the, the studio was right there. Listening to um, Boomer this morning. Boomer and Geo saying Knicks fans are probably still chanting defense as they wake up in the morning. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it's it's amazing. It's really amazing. And we need this sense of unity after all that we've gone through, man. This is this is like we need to keep opening up these stadiums, man. It's so uniting to be able to have a fan base to be with. It's like a family. Going in that building, everybody's together, man. It's Everything else is... It's a nice distraction, man. It's awesome. And I can only imagine just loving it from where I was sitting on the, on the couch watching on TV. If you were there in, in the garden. If you were there on 7th Avenue. I mean, guys, they... There was some crazy shit. Like, there was a flyer being passed. There were flyers being passed around. I saw this on the internet. I was fucking dying. Reading... Somebody made it. Trey is balding. And then, you know, a little description. Trey Young is 22 years old. He is losing hair at an alarming rate. <laughs> yada, yada, yada. Let's see if this chant works. And it worked. The Trey is balding chants were throughout the entire game. The F Trey Young chants kept going. And, you know, Breen didn't like it. But he's a professional. I would, you know, imagine he had to say something about it. But, I mean, I loved it. Listen, this is Madison Square Garden. This is New York. You're in Manhattan, New York. If you don't like it, get out and find your safe space. My only critique on the night, my only little critique, and I didn't find this out until this morning. And what I mean by this morning is Thursday, May 27th. I, and as you're listening to this, it's Friday, May 28th. But as I woke up this morning, I saw some headline uh, bleacher report that some, some idiot Knicks fans spit on Trey young. And I think he was rightly banned from the building, but you know, 
it's unfortunate, but like outside of that, man, it was awesome. I have no issue with anything else the Knicks fans did. Make it a hostile environment, man. Make it terrifying for these guys to come in here. We're obviously in the guy's head. I mean, look at what he's doing after the game. See you in the A. See you in the A. Pointing down to the to the floor. I mean, he, he they're in his head. But the Knicks are going to have a tough task now. They've got to go there for two games. And the series is tied. It's not like we have a 2-0 lead. No, we it's tied. So it's going to be difficult. And I'm sure this is not going to be the last we see of the Hawks. I mean, I, I'm not expecting this series to go the minimum from here. I don't think it's going to go five. I think it's going to go seven. Yeah, I think it's going to go seven. If the Knicks are on point. It's going to be tough. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to be difficult. But it's been fun. And listening to the post-game interviews, you could tell these guys love this team. I mean, how, how great of a story is it? The whole thing with Taj Gibson, Tom Thibodeau, and Derrick Rose reuniting and doing what they all wanted to do. Just an amazing, heartfelt story. Like, Taj Gibson was at home to start the season for months, right? We, he was a mid-season acquisition. We just picked him up from the couch to bring him back. Tom Thibodeau, there were the big questions. Is he ever going to coach again? Is he right for this modern era of basketball that we're in? Right? Does he fit this nature of the game? Can he lead a young Knicks team the right way? Right, You're, there is the big question: bringing in a win, a win now coach, bringing him into a a lose now team at the time is what we thought. Is that going to work? Right, win now on a win later team. Win later sounds much better than lose now. <laughs> but and then Derrick Rose. I mean, the people thought this guy's career was over years ago. They did. He was such a young athlete. He looked so the youngest MVP ever. Looked like he was on a clear-cut path to the Hall of Fame. The big injury happens. Everybody doubts him. And now, with this kind of like second half of his career, he's kind of building a case again to make the Hall. It's like, in no way am I really I'm not trying to like compare the two players, but it's like a like the whole Justin Verlander thing, he's got a whole second half of his career. Derrick Rose post injury, he's become he went from a, an athletic, explosive, high flyer to a very savvy, crafty veteran. And just this whole you know the whole thing reuniting those three, you know Taj Gibson has talked about how he's always wanted to. As a kid, he was always envisioning him being a Nick in the postseason. And he was talking about that in the postgame, how he's here now and how emotional it is for him. He got emotional in the presser. Derek Rose, he's always a great guy to listen to. In the press conferences, you could just hear it. You could see it. You can hear it. How great of a leader he's been. And I'm not going to lie to you and say I've been a big Derek Rose fan from the start, man. I didn't want this guy at the at the midseason from when... uh. You know, we were hearing the rumors that Dwayne Casey wanted him out of there. No. 
I was against it. I was concerned. I had my issues. I didn't even want Taj Gibson. I had my issues on Tim. Listen, there was a lot of things that a lot of Knicks fans were wrong on this season. But <laughs> we're here, right? That's the, we here. That's that's our catchphrase this season. We here. We're fucking here. And the Knicks picked up game game two at the Garden. A 101-92 victory. And that's what we're going to discuss tonight. Summarize real quickly the game. Break down some individual player performances. And then we've got a little film breakdown. Going to get into some film analysis. So that'll be fun. Now I might not, I don't think I'm going to have a Yankees episode. I know I've been missing a few lately. But I'll, I promise you, as soon as the, the NBA season ends, we will put full attention. So to the Yan- to you Yankees fans following the podcast, pretty soon all my attention is going to be on the Yankees. As soon as the NBA season is over. Hopefully it's not pretty soon. Hopefully we can, you know, keep playing with house money. Knicks, keep playing with house money. So let's head to our first break. This is episode 251 of the podcast of BD4. Knicks make a clutch game two comeback. And um, yeah, if you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, be sure to do that right now. You can find BD4 on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud. Listen to us on, you know, the, the usual podcast feeds for audio and then you can also watch the podcast on YouTube which if you watch us on YouTube this episode if you haven't watched us on YouTube yet this episode's probably the one you want to watch on YouTube because again later we're going to get into some film analysis for a few minutes Um, but if you're listening that's fine welcome and if you're watching welcome if you haven't subscribed yet be sure to subscribe on all those platforms I just mentioned. And if you haven't followed me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can also follow along with a blog that I write recapping the Knicks and Yankees games. Every game. Been a bit behind lately, but we'll get there. Um, so thank you for following along and all that stuff. If you want to find out how to follow and subscribe to all those platforms and Things I just told you about, just go to my link tree. My link tree is linktr.ee forward slash RJ Carbone. All right, that will take you to my link tree, which will take you to that page that displays all my information. Where to subscribe to the blog at, the podcast, and where to follow me on social media. So linktr.ee forward slash RJ Carbone. You're listening to 251 of BD4. I'm your host, RJ Carbone. Welcome. But let's head to our first break. When we get back, we'll get into this.
So the Knicks take the 101 to 92 victory. And, you know, I got to be honest with you. You guys saw it was a very poor start. Another very poor start after the first few minutes. We had issues scoring the ball. Could not knock down any open looks. And we were bad defending the three-point line. Peyton was taking awful shots again. That floater, oh my gosh, that floater was abysmal. Too much ball time from Alfred. And when both Noel and Peyton are in there, it's hard, it's hard to watch. And he had Randall looking worse than he had in all of the first game. But the spacing was terrible. With Randall struggling between that, Noel and Alfred on the floor at the same time who don't give you any offensive contributions. It's hard. The spacing is terrible because you've got everybody shading. You've got Clint Capella shading over to ball side on the block as the helper behind Julius's defender. So that's going to, you know, screw up his whole game plan because he's been overthinking. You could see mentally he's not there. He's just overthinking things way too much. But it was bad before Alfred got pulled. And, and for a while in the first half, the, the majority of the first half was you know, shoddy ball movement, not making shots, a lot of isolation. And on the Hawks' end, they had Trey Young feasting. He had 30 points, but he had 20 of those 30 in the first half. So we clamped down later, which we'll talk about in a second. Bogey was feasting. And those two got some help from perimeter shooters. And then you had Clint Capella dominating down low with some excellent rim protection. Second unit was outplaying the starters. Randall had two points. RJ and Reggie were still off. Young hit that deep three at the end of the first half, which to me, that was like the punch right in the gut, the gut punch. He smiles after he laughs and he kind of looks over. To me, that was like, like I, I was being a prisoner of the moment, so I was caught up in my emotions, and I was like, this is going to be a sweep. Like I said on Twitter, we look like sweep material right now. Right after that Trey Young 3, I just felt the world coming down. I felt like it was all over. The garden got really quiet. Then the second half comes. We're down 57 to 44 at the break, so very ugly. Doesn't look good. MSG halftime's ripping into them. Second half comes, Tom Thibodeau makes his adjustments. He adjusts the lineup, going Rose and Taj over Peyton Noel at the 1-5. and five. And then some defensive adjustments as well. Tremendous second half. Uh, the guard play improved dramatically. Right? You had secondary ball handlers getting going, like IQ and Burks had some moments. And the starters then awoke. Derek Rose, fantastic. Reggie Bullock, who was key, and we will get to him. Fantastic. Julius Randle woke up. I mean, that three-pointer at the top of the period got him going. He hit another one in the period at the end, and he started getting going. For the most part, it was it was inside out. His drives and, you know, going downhill was kind of getting him going. And then the bigs, Obi Toppin, some amazing emotional moments. 
Taj, Noel, Randall. Give them credit, man. The second half, they kept the paint clean. And we'll get to them. But it was a good second half. The closing lineup of the veterans over the youths paid off. Burks was out there. Rose and Taj were out there. Some hardcore vets. Defense leading to offense. And again, just some amazing moments where Madison Square Garden just off the fucking rails. Insanity. So, yeah, I thought the defensive adjustments by Tom Thibodeau were crucial. The Knicks won the glass 54-41. They won the second half. Scoreboard 57-35. to And there was a stat that TNT said. I was like going back and forth because the MSG broadcast had some problems. On my end, it did. But they set a stat on TNT. 41-4 and record when we hold our opponents to under 100 points. <laughs> Defense. Trey Young. Four points in the fourth quarter. Clint Capella, four points the entire game. John Collins had zero points in the 15 minutes he played. Big. Big. Those three things. Those adjustments to limit the Capella Young pick and roll were tremendously great. You know, they hurt us in some other sets, but we adjusted to their pick and roll game, and that was the big issue in game one. And I attribute that defense to Reggie Bullock, who I want to get to first. Now, Bullock had 15 points, four for seven from downtown, and a plus 13. So those threes were spectacular. Two huge threes in that third quarter, which I'm going to touch on when we get to the film session. And then he made a three in the fourth as well. But I want to talk about his defense. Because when we talk about containing and neutralizing the young Capella pick and roll, you can't bring that up without talking about how relentless Reggie Bullock was in that second half defensively. Thibodeau switched him onto Trey in the second half. And Reggie was doing his thing. He was doing everything that we wanted to see the Knicks do in game one, but did not. He was forcing Trey to his left. He was trapping the pick and roll and just forcing Young to give it up. A lot of times you had to see Bogey play as the creator. And he's not a creator. He's more of just a catch and shoot guard. But he... (laughs) Reggie Bullock suffocating defense. And there was that flagrant foul he had on Hunter. To me, that set a nice tone towards the end of the third period. I loved it. A hard foul. Get him to the floor. Send a reminder that the Knicks are a physical basketball team and nothing is going to come easy. And from there, that was kind of the moment right after that hard foul. It took Atlanta shooting out of rhythm. It took them out of rhythm shooting the ball. And I want to get to that really quick because every once in a while I get the occasional like angry, casual boomer Knicks fan who, you know, they don't, they probably just picked up the second half of the season when they realized the Knicks were legitimate and they probably don't watch the games rationally. They probably watch the games thinking, oh, this number, you know, 
I'm terrible at numbers. Is quickly number four? No. I don't know, but like, oh, this quickly kid's decent. You know, they just react on whatever type of game that player is having. It's number five. Oh, this number five guy's good. Right? They don't know certain players on the roster. And I had one on Twitter earlier, just he's I, I've kept in, I, I've talked to this guy a couple of times throughout the year. One of those typical casuals who doesn't know anything, just knows the you know, the outside layer of everything. Julius Good, Nick Suck, one of those guys. Probably doesn't know who Emmanuel Quickly is. Probably thinks RJ Barrett's a bust because he's seen him had a you know, he probably just watched him have a bad game or something and he thinks that's how he always is. And so this guy's telling me the Knicks got lucky the entire second half. They're the only one that they, they, they play terrible defense. But a lot of people need to realize this is the issue with not watching every single game and actually paying deep attention. There's a difference between staring at a screen and actually paying attention. A lot of it, and we, we talk about it all the time, a lot of the Nick defense is scheme. A lot of what you see when they leave those guys open on the perimeter, you know, in the corners and on the wing, a lot of that is scheme. A lot of that is the Knicks helping to prevent baskets from the lane. And that's what they were doing. The Knicks pick and roll defense definitely picked up because we saw a lot of help. We took their shooting out of rhythm with our physicality. And I thought that Reggie, hard foul, set the tone. A lot of... We had a few different schemes, to be honest with you, in pick and roll. You know, we did a nice job in a lot of areas. Did a better job tagging and pursuing the ball in point of attack. We, you know, the guards weren't getting caught on screens as much. Picking the screens up higher on the floor with some early traps up top. A lot of doubles. There was some icing going on. And we'll get to some of that when we go over D-Rose and the guard play. Um, Even the bigs. You know, Noel reaching and poking at the ball up top. More aggressive. The help defense was good. And again, that's why these shooters are being left open sometimes. Because we're helping on the inside. So it's not that we don't play good defense. It's that we're, we're scheming it this way purposely. So, rotations were a bit more crisp. I liked it. I, I thought the pick and roll defense in the second half really clamped down. Julius Randle. Let's go over his game um, real quick. 15 points, 12 boards, 4 assists. 5 for 16, 2 for 7 from 3. Again, he looked lost in the first half. Nothing nothing going, right? Second half comes, he found something. 13 of the 15 in the second half. Got his first field goal with that triple at the top of the third period. And with the pack, uh, the passing lanes, you know, very packed, he, instead of kicking out to the perimeter... He found cutters on the inside and hitting up shooters on the elbow. And again, it was the inside-out game that was working. He was driving to the rim. Some tough finishes. He had a nice finish on Capella. And he worked great in transition. 
12 rebounds leading out into those runouts. Pushing the tempo, going downhill. Some really tough finishes. Just just gotta get the gotta get the jump shot going, man. Hit a couple threes in the third, but still not efficiently shooting the three and the mid-range is not there. But, you know, helps shift the momentum in that third quarter and I think the Knicks should use him more as a screener because if the Hawks are going to continue to switch heavy on him, which they really did in game two, it's going to lead to a lot of those mismatches. And so as much as we can put Randall into those mismatches, we got to exploit that. They switch a ton. So if we continue to use him as a screener and they continue to switch on him, we got to keep going on him. Let him use his size. And his switch game defensively is underrated. We'll go over a possession that I really liked about his switch game in the film. But I thought he had a good second half. He still needs to figure it out. Nerland's Noel. He had two points, five boards. Um, only played 17 minutes, dealt with a sprained ankle. Not much, you know, not much to really evaluate. Because his impact was limited in 17 minutes, with this, with, you know, he was questionable for a while. But um, you know, he, he boxing out, and you know that was about as much as I can really say. R.J. Barrett, 13 points, eight rebounds, two assists for R.J. Barrett. Um, five for 14 from the field, two for five from three, and he played just 26 minutes. Did not play. Closing minutes. Again, once again, Tom Thibodeau once went with the uh, the vets to close out. But RJ, you know, had some moments where he was finding open holes in the defense by you know, pushing the pace in transition and drove by some tough closeouts. But that was about it. He, he didn't do, you know, there were some reckless drives in the traffic. He, you know, floor vision could have been a bit better. But I think this was one of those games where I can. I, where you can look at and say, like, man, it would be nice if this kid had a consistent mid-range shot. You know, he was drive-heavy last night. He was driving a lot. But if he gets, like, a pull-up mid-range, that helps space the floor so much. And I think that's why he wasn't closing in these in these first two games. Tibbs wants spacing it. He went with Burks and Bullock on the wing. Later in the second half. Instead of Barrett. Because he's not been efficient yet. But, you know, overall, some moments, not as bad as Julius, but not as good as, you know, the Derrick Roses of the world. Pretty quiet in the second quarter, pretty quiet in the fourth quarter. Pretty quiet, underwhelming performance. Alfred Payton, um, I mean, five minutes, Tibbs is Tibbs finally done? Was it just a decision in the game? Or is this something we're going to see out of the gate in game three when we go to Atlanta on Friday night? He was pulled after way too many touches, bad shots, and again, just a zero offensively. He's not a threat. They don't guard him. They ignore Alfred Payton. They even had a bad defensive power forward in John Collins on him a ton this game. 
that should tell you all you need to know about Alfred Payton as an NBA player. When they have John Collins tasked with him. But are we going to see Derrick Rose start more games? And those charity minutes that Payton gets, he's been getting five minutes, eight minutes. Are those minutes going to go to Frank from now on? That would be nice, but Tibbs doesn't seem like he's going to go with Frank much. But somebody's got to get him, so Rose needs some kind of rest because he can't keep throwing Derrick Rose out there for 39, 40, 41, two minutes. Like, he had 26 points, four assists, four rebounds, a turnover, nine for 21, two for three from three, and six for six at the, tri- uh, at the stripe. He is the MVP of the Knicks right now. He's the, win- he's the one showing up in both of these games. The best one on the team so far. He's providing a spark to that second unit. Play the entire first half once he came in for EP. A few minutes in, he played the entire rest of the way. And he played the entire third as well. So he tallied 39 minutes. Um, but he was great. Three-level scoring. Drives on the inside. Floaters. And the three ball when the defense dropped off. And again, he's just the perfect veteran for this team. The guys love him. Excellent leader. So, Derrick Rose was great again. Alec Burks. Burks had 11 points, 8 rebounds, 2 assists, 4 for 13, and 1 for 5 from 3, 2 for 4 from the line. You know, off night, not not quite the game 1 performance, but jumper wasn't there. He had some good looks, just wasn't hitting it. Found a little bit in the 4th quarter. He hit that early triple. Garden went nuts. Um, but other than that, not much. Good rebounding. He continues to be good on the glass. But, um, you know, spent some time at point guard. Was pretty good as a playmaker. But, um, you know, when Rose rested. But other than that, just a pretty, you know, an okay performance. Nothing crazy. Uh, Manuel quickly also had an off night. Four points, two for nine. Oh for four from deep. Actually liked what he did defensively for a little. He didn't look terrible. And he was you know, rebounding pretty well. Um and I guess last but not least, Obi Toppin, who, you know, he wasn't I mean, he wasn't off. He's been really good for the Knicks. He's the numbers aren't gonna jump out at you, but he's been good. Eight points in twelve minutes. But my guy brought some energy once again to the arena. I mean, shit. He drills a triple. And then obviously, we're going to get into it in the film session in a second. He blocks a shot into a transition lob. Amazing energy. The OV serenade. I mean, awesome. Oh, and uh, Tosh. We haven't got the Tosh yet. Tosh was good, man. Six points, seven boards, three steals a block. Just filling up the stat sheet. A little bit of everything. He's so awesome to watch, man. He plays his fucking heart out every night. That one play with a minute left in the fourth, Taj sprints to the perimeter to close out on a three-point shooter. Showing his amazing hustle. And again, this was a mid-season acquisition. Just came here to be a third-string big. And now he's a regular part of the rotation. Amazing. 
So that's how it went down, folks. <laughs> um Yeah. We're gonna get to film session. We're gonna get to film session. But first, um head to break. You're listening to episode 251 of BD4, where there's no better way to get your Yankees and Knicks analysis. Let's have to break. When we get back, going to pick a few things apart in film. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll pick, our, pick apart some defensive possessions, and then we'll go over a couple of offensive possessions that I liked at the end of the game. All right, let's get to it. Be right back first. And again, excuse me if my, um, like this is my first time doing film analysis. So if I'm a little slow and I'm not claiming to be an expert or anything either, this is, Again, this is my first time digging into specific sets. So if I'm like sloppy and slow and not great at it, excuse me. Um, but if we do get the hang of it, you know, because I'm using like two different platforms to try and navigate this thing. But if we get the hang of this, we might do more of these. Uh, but there are a number there are a number of defensive possessions I first want to point out. That I thought the Knicks I thought the Knicks did much better of in last night's game when you compare it to what they did Sunday night. Um, so this was one of the first few possessions. It was, you know, when they got off to that hot defensive start, this was when Danilo Gallinari traveled at the end of the shot clock. And I thought, first and foremost, if you watch, if you're watching the podcast, you could see if you're listening to the podcast and I'm sorry, you probably have, you know, you're gonna have an issue following along. But as you can see on this play, the first thing I want to point out, this whole thing is lateral. Right, it's just nothing but side to side movement, and we always, you know, Clyde always talks about that when the Knicks are struggling offensively, how they're not going north and south, but they're going east to west. Is what he, he that's how he likes to word it, and that's what the Knicks are doing here defensively. I mean, the Hawks don't get within thirty feet of the basket this entire possession because, and I like to point out three different players. I think you look at Reggie, Nerlens, and Julius. Um, if you, we could start with Reggie Bullock because we talk about Reggie's on the ball defense, how good is he, how good he is at defending ball, but here he does an excellent job off ball on Bogdanovich. His ball denial to make sure that, you know, and remember Bogey was the guy who hit four triples on us on Sunday night, but right here, this entire possession, he's playing the passing lane and making sure he is determined, relentless making sure nobody gets that ball to bogey. And I thought that was huge. I think that's the first thing I want to point out is how tremendous that defense was by um, Reggie Bullock. Just the entire time. But if you also want to, you can look at Nerlens Noel. And I thought Nerlens was tremendous this possession as well. Because he's the reason that Gallo picked up his dribble in the first place and traveled. As you can see right here, Nerlens is tagging Capella. Tagging Capella. He's tagging Capella. Tagging, tagging, tagging. 
Now Capella's going to run up and set the screen near the elbow three. And he here's Nerlens with a quick stunt and then he recovers to get back to the roll on Capella. And that was huge. Because I thought just that little hedge right there at the top, that little hedge at the end of that possession is why Danilo picked up his dribble. Run it back here. Right here. Comes off, he hedges. Danilo picks up the dribble. And then Julius at the end with tremendous ball pressure. And then that's that. The fat lady sings. The Knicks get the ball with 1.4 seconds in the shot clock. Because he traveled. So I thought that was one of the first excellent possessions of the game. And obviously they go on to collapse for a bit. There'd, there'd be a bunch of defensive breakdowns in that first half. But that was one. It was a promising start because of that sequence there. This one was more at the it was a, it was early in the second quarter when the Knicks forced a shot clock violation. So the first thing I want to point out is here they're playing the they're they're forcing the Hawks outside right now they've got three out and the entire possession they don't have less than two out. So they're playing up and everything, um, but I also think this was a great team possession. Because you have multiple guys doing multiple things here. Um, so let's start with Obi Toppin. Because he switches onto the ball here. Right up top he switches. Now he's guarding a guard. And that's tough. for you know Because Obi has you know one of his big knocks. Is defending in space. But I thought he did a pretty good job there. Um, and even. He doesn't, he doesn't bite on that fake either. He stays home. And he doesn't leave his feet. Keeps him in front of him. Here he is. See, by Lou Will. A quick little fake, but he stayed on his feet. And I thought he did a great job there forcing that pass. And if you look at Quickly, Quickly's the one who, he had to pick up John Collins after the roll there and then played him onto the post. And that's, you know, obviously Quickly here at the end was the one who forced that shot clock violation with the defense of the post on John Collins post roll. So you had, uh, you had Obi switching on the ball. Quickly picking up Collins after the roll. Um, even Alec Burks, you know. Great job. Then he picks up that cutter. And then Rose rotates up. And Taj Gibson did a great job. Denying... Is that Danilo? Yeah, you could see his Danilo with that awful haircut. Um, but yeah, Taj did a good job denying ball. Excellent ball denial here. Right here. On Danilo. Great stop there. And so I just thought that was a great team stop. Bunch of guys chipped in. A lot of good individual defense. Leading to a good team stop. Now this one, pretty simple. Because we always talk about how the Nick defense is the reason. The Nick defense leads the Nick offense, right? A lot of the times when the Nick offense is going, it's because of their defense. And I think on this possession, it was pretty simple. You had Derrick Rose helping a little bit on Lou Will at the top there. Then he gets a nice stop on Tony Snell. And then you have I, IQ jump in the lane, getting the steal, and then he finishes on the fast break off the D-Rose assists. It was a good stop. This was kind of before, I think it was like before everything started going downhill a bit few minutes before maybe but yeah Derek Rose here right here 
Nice stop on Snell. IQ plays the lane. And then the two-on-one fast break, they've got the numbers. IQ finishes. Another good possession. This is in the second half. The second half of the third quarter. Avoiding the pick and roll here. Preventing it. So, see if we can go back to the top of that. Derek Rose. Right here. He ices out, icing out that screen. Forcing Trey to the baseline. Or near the baseline. And then you have the switch. As soon as he ices that screen. You've got Randall now on, on Trey Young. And I thought Randall... He his his switch game is pretty underrated in my opinion. Um we may have said that when we went over his player performance just before. So but it is. He's got a, he's done a nice job on on Young this series when they've been in ISO. And here he does a really good job getting them at the rim preventing that floater. So, yeah, pretty simple. Rose ices the pick and roll. He and Randall switch. Randall gets the stop on Young going into the lane there. Just something we didn't do on Sunday night. Now, this one was the Obi Toppin play. Probably his best play of the season. Maybe it's not saying much because, you know, he had an underwhelming year, but He's looked a lot better in the second half of the year. I don't think anybody can deny that. But this was the play, right? This was the one everybody was talking about where Obi gets the block and then he throws down that incredible lob from Burks. And I don't know, it was a few minutes afterwards, maybe the, the whole the whole fucking garden chanting Obi, Obi. And just an, emo- an awesome say, You know, this is a kid hometown kid and they pan to his mother in the crowd she's crying emotional moment really cool moment but yeah I thought Obi was great defensively this entire time because you see here Bullock gets beat Lou Will beats him but then Obi if we want to go back Obi's initially on Gallo but as soon as as soon as he gets beat Bullock that is Obi rotates over from Gallo, and now he's on Kevin Herter, I think that is. So, here we go. From there, Gallo over to Herter. And then from here, Noel, he gets beat, so Obi switches with Noel on the roll here. And that's where he ends up getting the block down the middle. And then that leads to that transition bucket. From uh, from Burks. Throws it down. And that, I mean, the garden was fucking electric. At this moment. Fucking electric. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, but I thought that was another good possession. And this was a key one. It was in the fourth quarter here. And, you know, to give the Knicks some padding with the, gave them a nice six point lead. 
Now this one, another one that leads to good offense. Really good transition opportunity. Um, now I didn't catch this when I was watching the game initially. I actually saw this clip on somebody posted it on Twitter and they did a really good analysis of it. And I, I feel really bad because I don't know the handle. I probably should have taken it down, but it's really good possession because you have, it's really just, it's Nerland's Noel and Reggie Bullock, a great stop on the Lou Williams, Clint Capella pick and roll. And that leads to a transition basket for the Knicks. Noel picks up Williams on the roll along with Reggie. He gets the block and then we're off. And then we go a little mini pick and roll here. IQ uses the front side, blows by Lou, and then finishes with a floater. And another big, you know, breathing room type of possession for the Knicks to get the momentum going. But I, I thought that was great pick and roll defense, again, that we did not see much of on Sunday night. Working together, communications, communication, and um, leading to a good offensive possession. Now, I want to go to some offensive sets now. Just a couple, because I thought in the second half, we did a really good job, especially at exploiting Trey Young, who we all know cannot defend to save his life. He's tiny, and he's easy to take advantage of. And it doesn't even have to be on the ball. Right here, this possession right here, we simply just ran him through a, a DHO. We ran him right through a Taj Gibson screen. He gets caught on the screen. Reggie pops. And he's late closing out. And that's the, as simple as that. That was one of Reggie's two big three-pointers in that third quarter. Just a simple dribble handoff near the elbow three. Right here. Boom. Now, this is the last one. Uh, I want to go over real quick. Another big one, because another time here where we can target Trey Young and exploit his the defensive mismatch. And this isn't even another one where it's not on the ball, strictly. So here at the top, you hear, if you see on the other end here, RJ's in post-up, and Young is on him. So the Hawks recognize this. They clearly see that RJ in post up on Young. So what they do, they send help. They've got the last line of defense all here. Everybody's helping here as that second layer of defense. And you've got Capella right on the baseline behind Young. So they're all helping. They're all helping ball side. So that leaves Julius as an option. He's open. That leaves Reggie Bullock even more of us an option as Bogey is all the way down into the semicircle. So RJ reads that. And what he does is exactly what you want him to do. He kicks it all the way to Reggie, who beats Bogey's closeout, and he hits a triple. All because RJ has the post-up mismatch on Trey Young. 
So they send the extra help there. But that's going to leave Reggie open on the weak side for a three. And I think we need to keep doing it. We need to keep exploiting Trey Young as that mismatch. He's so easy to attack, man. He does his thing offensively, but just him being such a weak defender, it does. So, see how much that does for the Knicks? It opens up so much. Literally, all these guys, just because they know he's probably going to get by him or abuse him, they now have to play that extra line here. They have to help. And because they're overhelping, Reggie is wide open and Bogey's not going to get there to close out quick enough. All that space. All that space. Right here. So, I just thought I was something to point out. And that's that's the last one. That is the last one. I hope that was good. Again, my first time doing something like that, so I hope it wasn't too bad. Um... Next time we do it, I got to work on getting my camera on the bottom of the screen there so we can actually see me going over it, but first time. Um, so going forward from here, guys, got to go into game three. You got to get Julius Randle to wake the fuck up. Hopefully that second half was kind of him. And from there on out, we get that guy. But still, it wasn't like he was lights out. We need to get him. We need to get that jumper on point. We need to get him going. We need those 25, 30-point performances again where he's 55% from the field, you know, 50% from three in these games, and we need him going. We need those Larry Bird-esque performances. We will not win this series without Julius Randle being on points. And also, R.J. Barrett's got to step it up, too. He's a big part. He's also, you know, not been bad, but he's definitely not been R.J. Barrett sophomore season good definitely not where he was towards the end of the year especially in that second half on that run he went on so we're going to need our top guns we are going to need our top weapons here we cannot expect to get through this series and have Randall shooting sub 30% every game and RJ you know well below 20 points I mean they got they got to get their shit together Maybe you give some credit to Atlanta for scheming them, but like, you gotta adjust as NBA players. You gotta adjust. So, most improved players gotta start to do some improving here in the playoffs too. Also, I want to go small. Like, whenever Capella goes to the bench, we should probably start going small because they have no other guy who can protect the rim. None other. No other guy on that team protects the rim. When Capella is on the bench, that's an open spot. And we need to exploit that. If that means getting Obi into some actions as a role man, do it. Playing Randall up at the five, do it. Because that if there's a team that we can go small on, it is the Atlanta Hawks when Capella hits the bench. That's a moment where you could go small. And I think that's it. I think that's all I've got. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Episode 251 of BD4, where there's no better way to get your Yankees and Knicks analysis. 
We're going to head to break one more time. When we get back from break, we'll get into the question of the day. And that'll be that. Be right back. So last time out in episode 250, I asked you guys, how many times did the New York Knicks score 100 points in the first round of the playoffs in 2013? So we're two for two so far this year in scoring at least 100 points. But how many times did the Knicks score 100 points in the first round of 2013? That was the question of the day. The answer to the question of the day for 250. Zero. It was a different game back then, man. Zero. Completely different game. Crazy, because that wasn't even that long ago. I mean, eight years, but like, damn, time fucking flies. Zero. Uh, tonight's NYY, NYK question of the day for episode 251. Name three of the five players who led the Knicks... Playoff history in assists. All right. In any order you want. Doesn't have to be in order. But just name three of the five players. Three of the top five players. In assists. Knicks playoff history. All right. So let me know the answer. Message me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Or comment the answer. Once I publish the promo to this podcast. Guys, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. And if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Give us a like if you're watching on YouTube. Comment. Tell me how much I'm great or tell me how much I suck. Share the podcast. Download the podcast. Yeah, guys. Thank you so much. I appreciate every one of you. That's all we've got for episode 251 of BD4. I'm your host, RJ Carbone. And I'm signing off. Ciao.